This is a quick disclaimer. Although the wise investor is trying to educate people on personal finance, what we talk about on the show is not actually financial advice for your personal and unique situation. Before trying to do anything with your money, always consult a professional. Hey, this is Anthony. And I'm Sal. And you're listening to the Wise Investor Podcast, where we help Canadians become more financially literate one post at a time. This is what they did not teach you in school. Intro this one, Sal. Thank you all for joining us in this pleasant Wednesday afternoon. I'm your co-host, Sal Longo. We got... Tony Shev in the building with the scorpion hat for Represent. a very special episode, not discussing Drake, but discussing real estate investing. I'm pretty fired up for this one. Real estate investing, it's a pretty interesting uh, <laughs> topic, that's for sure, especially what is the stat? Nine out of 10 millionaires become so through real estate. So, especially in Toronto, the last 10 years has been a real estate boom. It's created many millionaires over you know the last 10 to 15 years. Whoever so, purchased real estate is doing real well right now. Real well. So we're super excited because we get a lot of questions through our DMs, especially when Sal's out in certain places. They like to ask him a lot of questions about real estate. So we thought that we would do a segment today on real estate and real estate investing ranging from 101 beginners and we'll get a little bit more complicated as the podcast goes on so how to purchase real estate how to invest in real estate what comes along with it and all that other fun stuff that people have frequently asked questions about definitely let's get to it definitely let's jump in before we get started just wanted to say a very interesting thing yesterday that happened um During the 1980s and the 1990s, Apple and Microsoft were constantly competing for the number one valued company in the world. And just recently, yesterday, Microsoft surpassed Apple for the first time in like 25 years. Pretty interesting. RIP Steve Jobs. That's what happens, I suppose, right? So I'm not exactly sure how that happened or why it happened, but I I feel like Apple has been a little bit... uh, uh, lacking on their sales, especially the last iPhone. That's what caused the slump in their stock price. Yeah, it would be interesting to know what the exact reason is. But I think investors are just kind of projecting in the future. And it doesn't seem like, you know, since Steve Jobs' death, it doesn't seem like Apple is really making the big waves they did in the past in terms of innovation. I mean, every iPhone gets better, but they're not making that jump from like the MP3 player to the iPod, which was revolutionary, or, you know, a phone to an iPhone, Mm -hmm. iPod, phone, games, apps. So they need to start making that creative leap, and hopefully they'll have a Steve Jobs-like person at the helm again. Well, we'll see. I just wanted to toss that in there because it was pretty uh, interesting for me, especially. For those of you that are interested in an entrepreneurship book on innovation, this is a great one. Just plug it in there. Steve Jobs was known from creating something out of nothing, known as Zero to One. Good book. Mm-hmm. All right, so real estate investing. 
I just wanted to say before we get started in more realistic real estate, we're going to range from the very basic to the most complex, right? So there's a lot of different ways to own real estate and get the benefits of investing in real estate through different vehicles as opposed to actually purchasing a, a real estate property. And that is through something called a REIT, an R-E-I-T, REIT, Real Estate Investment Trust. You want to talk a little bit about what that is? Yeah, so most of the episode today, just to make it clear for those of us that's tuning in, it's going to be on basically purchasing property. But for those of you that, you know, real estate comes with significant amounts of money that is needed to make the purchase. So for some people that might not have, you know, 50, 100 grand saved up, but they still want to be able to invest in real estate, there's actually managed products like a real estate investment trust where they pool your money other people's money together and collectively they have billions of dollars to make big property purchases it could be in canada north america around the world what these people do is they take everyone's money and they make smart real estate investing decisions for you for you that's simple enough. Yeah, it's kind of like a mutual fund or an ETF portfolio, but in real estate. They take a bit of a management fee. So that's always an option for those of you that might not have the significant capital that comes with purchasing a property. But for most of today's episode, we're going to be talking about why purchase real estate, the pros, the cons, what to look for, because there's a lot of fees. <clears throat> yeah, that people don't actually <laughs> take into co- uh, consideration. So let's actually talk about the pros and cons of investing. A very big topic that comes up a lot for us is whether or not someone should continue renting or whether they should purchase a real estate property. So let's talk a little bit about that and what the pros and cons are. Sal's going to kind of take a stance on why you should purchase real estate and I'll talk a little bit about the pros of just renting and investing the difference. Okay. So the first thing, the reason why real estate is so attractive is number one, there's scarcity of land. Ooh, scarcity, fancy word. What it means is there's only so much of land available. And just like diamonds, because there's not billions of diamonds in the market, that creates the price to be valuable or worth something. There's only so much land that you can live in a particular domain. So Especially let's take, over the long term. Yeah, let's take Toronto, for instance. You know, like in Toronto, if you want to get into the 416, it is pretty pricey. And the reason is that's the economic hub. That's It's one of the best cities, safest cities. A lot of people work there. There's ample opportunity. And as a result, it's going to be pricey. There's going to be condo buildings going up but there's only so many condos that are going to get approved in the city, which creates the price to be where it is today. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people actually say to me, Anthony, I don't want to purchase real estate because there's so many fees associated with purchasing real estate, condo fees, taxes, land transfer taxes, realtor fees, upkeep on the condo, plumbing and all that kind of stuff. So, There is an argument as to why someone would not want to purchase real estate as well and just rent. But it really depends on the person's individual situation. So if I'm somebody that has a job that may relocate me or whatever the case is, and I like the idea of not having a lot of maintenance or overhead or fixed costs associated with my living expenses, renting could be an interesting option. 
And it was actually, we were looking at that YouTube video that showed the difference between investing in real estate and just paying rent and taking the rest of the money and putting it into a stock portfolio. What it showed is that actually over a 25-year period of time, investing in real estate gives you a much better rate of return, a couple hundred thousand dollars. But if you don't just hold that investment for a long period of time and you're such as like your real estate portfolio and you're selling and buying new real estate properties throughout the way it could the fees could add up a lot because of those land transfer taxes so let's just to make it simple for our viewers here let's kind of go over the pros and then we'll get into the cons because i feel like we're just jumping around and maybe people are like so is it good is it bad we don't really know so we are we do know and we're going to tell you guys so First is the price of real estate will continue to go up over the long run. There, now, has, there has been times when it's go, real estate goes up and down. But exactly. definitely over the long term, it always goes up. Just like in the last year, we've seen prices drop, I'd say, 15 to even 20% in Toronto and greater Toronto area. Real estate is not, what can you say? You know, it, it's not immune to decreases in price changes. But if you take real estate for the last hundred years, what you'll see is it's still going to give you four, five, six percent on average. So there's definitely that reason to own your property. It's going to go up in value. The second great thing about owning real estate is leverage. So I always like to really explain this simply. If you have $100,000 and you were to buy an investment at 6%, let's say, let's say a mutual fund, 6%, $100,000, you made 6000 that year in the mutual fund. Now with real estate, that $100,000 can be used as a down payment. You might buy something for $500,000 with your 100,000 that you have as cash. Sorry if I'm getting too technical here. And with leverage or the bank's money, you're able to buy an asset, aka a condo, a house, uh, some sort of property that's gonna go up in value. Now, if it goes up in value, it's not your original $100,000 that's making money on, but it's actually the $500,000 property. Now, let's say instead of 6% that you got in the mutual fund, it made 5%. Well, if you have $500,000 at 5%, what is that? $25,000. So now instead of 6 grand, you made 25. Mm -hmm. And how did we do that? We just magnified our return with leverage. So one of the greatest things about real estate investing is the ability to take the bank's money, not your own, to make an investment. Because mm -hmm. I remember when I was, especially in Canada, when I, when I was visiting my uncle in Croatia, they don't have as sophisticated of a bank system as they do here in Canada. Particularly what he, what I noticed was as we were driving through different towns and whatnot, houses were half built. And I was like, why are there so many houses that are a quarter built or half built, you know, like not finished, right? And he says, 
it's because mortgages aren't the same here as they are in Canada. Mortgages are 30%, 20%, right? And they won't leverage, they won't give you 80% of the value of the like property. Like they do here. Even like they, some cases, 95% they'll lend you Yeah, the exactly, right? So we actually live in a great country that there is this incentive in order to purchase real estate and the government and the government allows banks to leverage such a high amount pretty safely in order for you to purchase the house that you want and renovate it and finish it unlike other European countries or many places in the world. Exactly. So leverage, very key. And that's all thanks to the financial and banking system we have, you know, in Canada and around the world. You know, the financial system is very much criticized in many ways, but in many other ways, it does help society. So in addition to leverage, we also have the ability to rent the property out. So if you own a property, people always need somewhere to live. Maslow hierarchy of needs. The first need is shelter and safety. You're not going to be able to live on the street. It's not a good quality of life. What do you do? You need to find shelter. So real estate, there's always demand for people needing a roof over their head. So that's what makes it a great investment as well. It's something that's very safe. You're always going to have a tenant. If you're in a good area that has employment, uh, you know, around the corner, you're always going to be able to rent it out. Always know that before you purchase to look at what the rents are in that market and see if it covers the mortgage payment. That's more for our advanced viewers and people that are serious about buying, do your homework. And we'll get more into that in the next little while. So how about some cons of real estate? Yeah, because one, one of the main things that people don't take into consideration when purchasing real estate, which we said, which I just said, was the fees associated with it, right? So even if you have a hundred, let's say I have $100,000 and you have $100,000 and I invest it into my portfolio and you take it in order to invest into a $500,000 condo, let's say, right? In order to purchase that condo, you can't actually buy a $500,000 condo with that $100,000 because there's closing costs associated with it, lawyer fees, transfer taxes. I'm going to get into them in great detail after. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then there's also, you know, well, you don't have to pay the realtor fees if you're purchasing it, right? But you have to furnish your condo. You have so to fees. you have to keep a certain amount of money in order to upkeep it. Like, let's say something breaks or you have to re- replace something, right? Yeah. So that condo actually comes with a little bit of a liability associated with it as well. Absolutely. Now, that over the long term kind of gets neutralized. But in the short term, it definitely has an impact on your net worth. How about the con of e-liquidity or all your money is tied up in the house yeah that's definitely something as well right especially when purchasing real estate if you need that money it's not the easiest thing to get a hold of that's what i always tell the people right like if you only have a hundred thousand dollars and you put all of it into a real estate property that's somewhat risky because now you have no more money how about if your job went south Mm -hmm. or you know you need money to start a business or something like that so The great thing about real estate, though, is, you know, if you have some equity built up in the house over the long term, the banks will usually give you a home equity line of credit, which is like a loan on the the value of your real estate property. Now, that usually comes that usually comes, you know, with you paying down some of that mortgage and all that other stuff. So look into that for those of you that are maybe strapped with cash and only have a property, um, you might be able to draw a line of credit. 
What other cons can we say about real estate? Cons about real estate. It's not always, and this might be a shock to some, in, his, in history, it's not actually the best, highest return asset. And that's something, the reason why people make hundreds of thousands and tens of thousands is because they hold it for such a long time. But there's a lot of other ways to make big money, like in the stock market or even investing in a business, private business. There's a lot of ways. Investing to, in yourself. In yourself, education. There's a lot of ways to earn a higher rate of return every year than real estate. Real estate is a safer asset. That's why it's such a great asset to own. But, you know, usually safety comes with a little bit less of a return. Now, that's not always the case, as we saw in 2015, 2016, and before that. But on average, real estate, you know, will give you a good 5-6% return. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, what other con? Any other cons we could think of? Oh, we're going to get into them for sure. Because it really depends on what type of property that you're purchasing as well, right? Condos have condo fees that kind of suck because the fees that you're paying don't really go to building your net worth, you know? And maybe you don't use that pool or that gym with the very basic equipment, <laughs> right? And uh, there's other there's other things associated with purchasing condos that kind of suck as well, you know? And then on the other hand, there's houses. And houses are pretty good because you don't have condo fees, right? But there's a lot more upkeep and random bills that come up when purchasing a house. Sal just went through the process of purchasing a house and he's going to share a little bit about that with us but definitely there's maintenance on the lawn and maintenance on other things that might have to that might kind of eat away at your money with a house as opposed to a condo sure. so it really depends on what your preference is all in all real estate is a pretty great asset to own you even talked about it even if even if you go on forbes list a lot of billionaires were created because they played the real estate game. I Just, wonder if it's billionaires. Is it billionaires? There's billionaires. It's more finance. They kind of tie in finance with real estate. But a lot of millionaires are millionaires because of real estate. People that are you know frugal and save money and buy that ter third property. You know, over time, they're going to do very well for themselves. So we want to kind of talk about how to invest in real estate wisely. What does that entail? What does that mean? What should you look for? What's the process? What to be aware of? So let's get into purchasing some real estate. Let's start with the first time home buyer. So the first for the so the first time that you've purchased a real estate property and you're looking to buy one, you know, maybe your late twenties, early thirties, just getting married and you're looking to buy your first real estate property, what should you look out for? So first thing is you want to make sure that you have enough money saved up. If you're buying a property, you typically need to put 20% of that down. Now, I don't know what the new rules are with CMHC that you might be able to put less than 20% down, but it's become a whole lot more difficult in order to do that. So let's go with a conventional mortgage where you need to put down 20% of the purchase price. So average house nowadays in Toronto is, let's say, like $700,000. So 140. Yeah. There's 20%. Yeah. So you had to have to put down $140,000. And we'll get to actually, it's a lot more than the 20%. Yeah. And we're going to get there in literally 
one minute from now. But so you have to have 140,000. Also, as a financial planner, we always say that you should not be putting all your eggs in one basket. So not only should you have $140,000 saved up, you should have about 20 to $40,000 on top of that just in case for the costs that we're about to list out. And also an emergency fund, just like Sal said, in case you lose your job or something happens to your car and you need to replace it. You wanna make sure that you're not putting all of your money into this property and you become house broke. Now let's actually get into purchasing a property. Yeah, once you know, once you know that you have enough money, then you could start shopping. And we always talk about the different accounts to use to maximize you know, the amount of money and reduce their taxes. So what do we do now? We're looking to purchase an investment property or even your own property in a smart, wise way. So first I wanna say, you wanna work with a buyer realtor. I might be biased, but I'm not. Because I see a lot of people that say, you know what, I'm not going to work with a buyer agent because, you know, I want to save some costs. And maybe if I work directly with the listing agent, it's actually going to be cheaper. Well, let me tell you the reality of it. As a listing agent, you're most, we're most likely going to take the same commission as if we're going to pay the buyer agent that would represent your interest. Secondly, the listing agent, the person acting on the seller's behalf, is not really too interested in negotiating for you, the buyer, for a better price. So they already have a relationship with the seller. That's why they listed. They put their for sale sign on the seller's lot. There's a reason why that seller trusted this realtor. They trust them to do the best job. You as a buyer coming in to the listing agent Probably he's not going to give you the best discount, even if you're saving a bit of fees. It's a little bit of a conflict of interest too, you know, because he's going to be representing both sides, but he's more interested in selling it for the most price. Exactly. And actually in some jurisdictions, and even in Ontario, they're looking at it, maybe eliminating the ability for the, the selling agent to represent both parties. That's the multiple representation. It's a conflict of interest. Usually there's a rules that the seller can do. Most things that you need to know is that a lot of the time not going through the buying agent is probably worse for you. The buying agent is gonna know the market, give you comparables. They're gonna be able to negotiate for your behalf, on your behalf. You're not paying them, the seller is, and usually the listing brokerage is. So it's pretty wise to use a buying agent, especially if you're new to the real estate business. And just for everyone, not many people know this, but when you sell a property, usually the commission is 5% that the the realtor is charged. 2.5% goes to the person who sells the house and 2.5% goes to the person that buys the house. So if you decide to not go with a buying agent, like Sal said, the listing agent, the person, the, the agent who's selling the house actually gets both the 2.5%. Exactly. Maybe they'll cut the seller a break if you're lucky. Who knows? So <laughs> the buying agent... Doesn't always happen. Yeah. The buying agent is negotiating for your interest. So when you have the agreement, they're adding clauses. Maybe you need an inspection done on the house because it's over 20 years old. Or maybe he found a bit of water 
you know, from the roof or something like that. They're adding a financing condition. If you don't know if you're fully qualified for a mortgage on that particular property, when we write up an offer as a buying agent, you're pretty much committing, signing your life for a legal contract that's saying you're going to be purchasing this prop property at this price on this date within these conditions. It is a legal document. The realtor is not a lawyer, but they understand real estate law enough so that you don't get into too much trouble. And that's one thing as well. I want to talk about the closing date. I just wanted to say one last thing about uh, using a buying agent. The biggest value I see from using a buying agent is the negotiations. Because when you're, if you've never been through that negotiation before, a, an experienced selling agent will chew you up, you know? That's because they know all the tricks and what happens during that process in order to get pretty much the most possible out of that. And you want somebody on the other end who knows and is experienced in that in order to try and negotiate back and get a lower price. I think that's the biggest value when using a buying realtor. Yeah, there's a, there's definitely a lot of values, even just knowing the market, what the property you know is worth more, where or less. to buy and stuff. Yeah, and and even the legal contract. So, you know, now that you have, let's say we're going to the next step. You purchase the property. Should we talk about mortgages and getting pre-approved? No, but make sure you get pre-approved for a mortgage before shopping. Absolutely, it's pretty important. So now you purchase the property. You know, the legal contract in the agreement is saying. On this closing date, let's say December 31st of this year, you're going to have the money available to purchase this property and you're going to get the key for doing it. Now, the lawyer, as well as your realtor, as well as your mortgage broker, is going to be you know, working on all these different things on your behalf. So we want to tell our viewers that it's very important to have mortgage financing in play. No, have your pre-approval. In addition to that, you want to be working, you know, you have this agreement on the closing date. Your lawyer now is going to look at the agreement and represent your interests. Once you have the money from your down payment that we talked about, as well as the mortgage financing and committed, you know, you're completing all these things in the agreement, then you're going to be able to get the key. So the closing date's a very important day where your lawyer is getting the agreement they're looking at everything, making sure you're fulfilling the contract, making sure everything goes smoothly. So when people go, what closing date should I do? I get asked that all the time. Well, the closing date you should do depends on if you have your financing ready, if you found, you know, if you need, if you want to move in right away, or if you're, if it's a rental, if you already have a tenant that's going to be coming in close to the day that it closes. So there's a lot of things that goes into the closing date. Now, once closing date happens, and I see this a lot, especially you know people purchase new homes, and we're gonna get into that as well. The closing date is a day where you think you bought a house for 700,000, but $700,000 is the price that only the seller is getting. There's other people involved in the transaction. There's the appraiser. The modern, There's the lawyer. This is the modern day mafia. Everyone wants their <laughs> peace, you know? There's, hey. Exactly. We moved into this neighborhood. I got to charge you a little bit of taxes. There's the taxes. My neighborhood. The government wants some money. 
the appraiser wants some money for the mortgage. You might have an inspector if the property is, you know, wants you want an inspection on the property before moving in. Why don't you run us through some of these costs, Sal? Let's go for closing and real estate charges. So people purchase a house. They go, I, I purchased a house for $500,000. Fantastic. No, you didn't. You purchased a house for a lot more than $500,000. So first, you might need a home inspection. Home inspection, make sure that, you know, there's no major problems with the house, structural, no mold. You know, they can't guarantee everything, but it's usually a good idea to get an inspector in the house, make sure there's no significant issues. $500 there. Your mortgage broker, when they do an appraisal on your house, they want to make sure your house is worth what they think it's worth so they can give you that 80%. That's about 300 bucks. Legal fees, your lawyer representing you on that closing date we talked about, that's one to $3,000. Land transfer tax, we live in a beautiful province of Ontario. And the reason why is because we pay taxes and a lot of them. Land transfer tax in Ontario, there's a tiered system, but it probably is around one to 2% of the property, which is like five to 10 grand of the $500,000 property. Holy I'm not shit. done, I'm not done. If you bought a new build, your house is subject to HST. I'm gonna say that clear once again, because we're probably gonna run this on an episode. If you bought a new build, from a builder, a new home, your property is subject to HST in Ontario, which is 13%. There are some grants that are given for first time buyers or primary, uh, red, uh, primary home buyers, and there is a rebate involved. Look with your accountant, but the HST is 13% of the property so on seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars that's like like i don't know 80 grand holy shit. 13 <laughs> percent. now if you buy a resale home it's not subject to hst if you buy a new build it is subject to hst i think there's a certain amount that it's exempt but i've seen that it's like you know 40 50 60 thousand plus on hst now this is significant so you can, for those of you buying your first home and it's your primary residence, you can get a rebate on this money. The provincial government offers $24,000 rebate. I think federally it's $6,000 rebate. So you can get 30,000 back, but you know, add another 30,000 there. We're not done. Mortgage default insurance. People might not have 20% down of the property. What does that mean? The bank wants you to insure them that if you don't pay the mortgage you have insurance so that if they have to foreclose you they're protected that is a bit of a scam in canada don't get us started but you know there's a sliding scale on that around one percent home insurance appliances furnishing so that's the biggest thing how many people purchase a house have no more money left over and then can't buy furniture if you're buying when a my, when my yeah. parents first moved into their first house they used the cardboard box of their mattress as a dining table for the first six months yeah gotta do what you gotta do if, but exactly if you're buying a property you gotta be thinking on top of the five hundred thousand dollar property you bought you need about thirty to fifty thousand dollars conservatively on top for closing costs conservatively 
Yeah. $50,000. Right. You look at all these costs with taxes and things like that. If you're buying a resale, I'd probably think more like 20 grand, 20 to 30, but you know, have even for furnishing and stuff, that's that sky's the limit too. Depends, depends on your taste. Depends on your taste, your wife's taste, your girlfriend's taste, whatever. Let's not make it sexist. Could be a guy too. I have pretty good taste. <laughs> I don't know too many guys that spend a lot of money on furniture, but it could yeah, happen. Could happen for sure. All right, so that's buying your first property. Wow. That's that same hundred thousand dollars doesn't go a long way if you actually think about it. If if person A has $100,000 and person B has $100,000, person A rents and invests their money and person B purchases a property, at the end of the first year, person A actually has more money, more net worth than person B. Now that's over the short term. Again, $30,000 on $500,000. If you know, the markets do pretty well, you make that money back in the first two to three years, no problem, you know? So over the long term, it's okay. But these kind of surprise fees that nobody really talks about, we want people to know, especially when they're purchasing their first house because that's the most usually scariest of all the purchases. It often comes with a shock. You know, you read articles or even my clients, I always try to educate them on how much it actually costs. Alfio? I have a question that actually might be uh, For sure. His question was, is, is it the same fees if you purchase a condo? And the answer is yes. So whether it's a house or a condo, the fees are relatively <clears throat> the same. What matters is if it's a resale, meaning it's already someone living in it, or if it's a new build, meaning you're purchasing from the builder. There's not that much of a difference. Yeah. yeah. The biggest thing for those of you guys looking for new builds is look into what the HST is going to be because there are certain ways to get that rebate back. For those that are buying in partnership with other people, you may not have the ability to get money back from the government in regards to an HST grant. If you guys have more questions in regards to this matter, it is a lot. Message us, DM us, call us, call your accountant, talk to your lawyer well in advance of the closing date and sort all this stuff out. Yeah. So a couple other things I want to talk about your first real estate purchase is it's exempt from paying on taxes. So typically if you buy something at $100,000 and it grows to $200,000 and then you sell it, you have to pay what's called a capital gain on the growth. So $200,000 is what you sold it for. You bought it for $100,000. So the capital gain is the difference, $100,000. But when you buy your primary residence, meaning the house that you live in or the condo that you live in, you don't need to pay taxes on the money when you sell it, which is superb. Another great part about living in Canada, they exempt you from paying capital gains on your primary residence. But now I'd like to talk... Caveat, caveat, caveat. Asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. If the CRA, because I looked into this myself and for many clients, if the CRA looks and says to you, you purchased this house, it was your primary residence, so meaning you're living in it, we're not, you know, it's a primary residence, all this other stuff. But then you sold it three months after you moved in. They're going to call you and say, Anthony, I saw that you moved into your primary residence and you sold it for three months after. You might have made a hundred grand, but they're going to say, 
So where are you living now? Because the government wants to know that it's your primary residence, meaning this is a roof on, over your head for you to start a family, work close by. It's not for business purposes. The second that you start selling your primary residence many times or quickly from the closing date that you moved in, that's when the government goes, wait a second, this is not a primary residence. This is a business. Good point. And I want to know what's going on. There's actually a lot of people that got caught doing this and the government wants their tax on that capital gain. Yeah, they're really cracking down now, especially over the last couple of years. So really good. Anything else you want to talk about primary residence or purchasing your first house before we move to buying investment properties? Uh, no, just look into the fees associated with it before yeah. you do so and have a, a good amount ready to go. Yeah, exactly. So just that it becomes a lot more expensive than people think. That's all we really want to talk about here. Now, moving on. After you buy your first rental property, after you buy your first primary residence and mm -hmm. now you're ready you have a little bit more saved up many years down the road and you're looking to invest in a new rental property or investment property. What would you say, Sal, is some key things that people want to look for when looking at an investment for real estate? So when you're buying for investment, I would say go into an area that is going to have good income. Pretty self-explanatory, but a lot of people just go, I'm going to buy this property and get it for investment. That's fantastic, but the investment is only good when you know how much income that particular property is making. Right, because I know a lot of people that, you know, they can only afford a certain amount of, they only have a certain amount of money and they can only afford a certain price range. So they'll go out to like Barrie or Tottenham or like East Willenberry and stuff like that to buy their investment property. Yeah. And it's a lot harder to find somebody to rent it from you out in these other places. Yeah. So, I mean, there's always like people, like we said, there's always a demand for shelter. There is. Whether, it's just you're, harder. whether you're in Toronto or you're in Timbuktu. The difference though is the prices of the property Usually the higher price properties are going to get more rent and vice versa. Now, something very interesting is you're absolutely right. In more higher demand areas, maybe like downtown Toronto, you're going to probably get significant more income at the same price that you would maybe in Barrie. Not to say that buying in Barrie is a bad for investment decision. What we want to say is before making a rental purchase decision, look at what the income you can expect to get in that particular area prior to buying. Once, How would someone do that? What you can do is you can look at the, the four rents, work with an agent, see what, you know, what the rental rates are going for in that area. Sometimes you might be lucky enough to get a basement apartment or even a triplex or something like that that has multiple units so you can get different families in there giving you more income. Um, so main thing with rental properties is understand that A, you're gonna be pulling paying for the full tax. When you sell the property, it's not exempt from gain, so there's taxation involved with that. Mm -hmm. The income is taxable. The interest on your mortgage is tax deductible, so that helps, and different expenses associated with it. But look at, really, you gotta crunch your numbers and see what the income is, what your expenses are, what the taxes are, and see if it makes sense. Buying for a Buying for an, an investment purpose 
buying for investment purposes is actually more important to use a you know wealth manager financial planner realtor team going there because it does come down to the numbers a lot of the time right um so you know you don't want to just be buying a place because you like it or some kind of subjective reason it really comes down to the numbers and then getting it for the correct price to reflect those numbers exactly so what are some areas that you like when it comes to investing in real estate you know you know at the end of the, in hot in really hot markets you know obviously downtown toronto is great if you can afford it there's also significant taxes down there as well more taxes or yeah more tax in the city um the city of toronto has higher taxes on the purchase but nonetheless i mean you know you can get more income there but at the end of the day really if if you, in this interest rate environment people have a hard time getting mortgages which means that if someone needs a place to live and can't get a mortgage, they still need a home and they need to rent a place out. What that means is a lot of the time, the rent that you can charge is higher as interest rates go up. So a lot of people that own property are actually happy when interest rates go up because what that means is, you know, they could make more income. Um, so, you know, anywhere in Toronto, something that has even a t something with like a double unit, but even you can even go out to like Bradford or even these other, you know, these other areas up north and maybe you can purchase a property for a bit cheaper just to get in the market and you'll still have tenants being able to pay off your mortgage. You know, it still might make sense to get that appreciation plus someone paying down and pay, building up your equity. When you're going for these rental plays, make sure that you have an emergency fund, typically three to six months worth of rent or mortgage payments so that just in case your renter or you can't find a renter or your renter you know leaves or whatever and you're in between renters you're still going to be okay for whatever amount of time before you find a new one exactly so we always say that especially that is so important especially for people with a rental property the market can go up the market can go down you might have a bad tenant do your due diligence. That's another thing we should talk about. If you have a rental property, do your due diligence on the type of tenant. Don't, this is not something you do emotionally. Just because you like the person, you want them to live in your house. Unfortunately, you know, it's one thing to be giving people shelter for charity reasons, but if you have a, a, a prime, uh, you know, rental property, you want to really make sure this person's got good credit history, has a stable job. Funny story. That could pay you. One of our friends had a condo. The guy weirdly always asked to pay with cash, you know, but he always paid on time and he was paying 30% over the going rate for rent. Didn't ask any questions. He was very happy about it, but something definitely did seem off. This is off. illegal, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So it definitely did seem a little off, you know, but a couple months later, the police raided the condo and the guy was selling illegal shoes and drugs out of the condo. Just goes to show, be sure to always do due diligence on your renters. And try not to be shady. Actually, don't be shady when you're collecting your income. File it with the government. <laughs> don't collect cash under the table. Get checks. You'll have a better time with the CRA. Yeah, definitely. Anything so, else? Yeah, I just wanted to say, what are some things that when people do buy their first rental property and now they're a landlord what are some things that they need to understand the responsibilities of being a landlord 
Yeah, so basically, you know, you have certain agreements in the lease agreement that'll say, okay, you might, the tenant or the landowner might be in charge of paying some of the utilities or maybe they split some. So know which utilities, you know, your your tenant is paying, uh, which what you're responsible for. Usually the ten, uh, the landlord will pay the property taxes. So know, know what you're on the hook for. Understand it's a legal contract. Also, if your tenant goes into default, meaning they're not making payments, it's important to know that Ontario, we live in a beautiful country and beautiful province. We like to protect the little guy. And that's great because you don't want anyone ending up on the street because they have a hard time. The unfortunate part about it as a landlord is if you have your tenant that can't pay for whatever reason, you're probably not going to be able to boot them on the side of the road, you know, very soon. There's a whole lengthy process. There's a land tenant act. Um, it usually will take around three to six months just to get a new tenant. Which again, house. which is why you should have that safety net saved up. Alfio, how are we doing for time? You know how long we've been going for? Forty-seven minutes. Okay. Do you want to do you want to slide in quickly Airbnb? Sure. All right. So you can it, take it. It's been a big thing right now that people are purchasing property and then Airbnb. I guess that's the verb. Airbnb. Uh, the using Airbnb. Using Airbnb <laughs> to rent out and find short-term rentals for that property. Now, some things that you need to look out for is a lot of condos in Toronto are cracking down on this and they don't want it to happen because of a couple of reasons. One is it increases the the average rent across the entire industry. So if people are only doing long-term leases at, let's say, $1,000 and now short-term rentals come in through Airbnb and usually those short-term rentals are more money, that increases the rent for everybody, essentially, because of just supply and demand there. Also, a lot of condo buildings don't want it to happen because usually those are partiers. You know, you, you can't hold them responsible for the things that they do in the condo, right? And they you, cause noise. They cause yeah, noise all and all that stuff. kind of stuff. So a lot of condo boards are making it, are banning it from condos. Now, there's ways around this, sure. Also, the Canadian government doesn't want this to happen because of the avoidance of taxes that people are doing when collecting money from Airbnb. The CRA has been cracking down on this, so it's not the glory days as it used to be over the last three years. Nowadays, if you make money through Airbnb, make sure you claim it in your taxes and you're following your condo bylaws. Yes. Anything so else true. you want to talk about that? There are some pros and cons to it. So true. Like, I mean, if you own a, if you own a, you know, a nice hot condo in Toronto, you probably make significant money doing this. Um, the thing is, is the government, the reason the government doesn't want this to happen is it's not a competitive way to have, you know, for people that don't own condos, they probably can't even rent mm -hmm. because of how expensive it would be. So they want to keep rents competitive and in line with actually being able to live in the city. So... There are some pros and cons to it. Obviously, you don't want some people just partying in your condo that you may live in, you know, but... If you can be okay with that, there is some money to be made and there is a little bit of volatility or risk associated with it too, right? Because if you get one person and they're qualified to stay in your property for a year or two, 
it's a lot easier than having somebody constantly going in and out every weekend and maybe one week you don't you don't rent it out for whatever reason right so there's a little bit more risk but a lot more upside in airbnb it okay anything else we kind of went deep into this summarize yeah real estate is a fantastic investment everyone needs shelter over their head it's maslow's first need and you know there's always going to be a demand for rent so you're always as a owning a rental property you're always going to have someone giving you income at the same time it does come with ex uh, significant costs expenses fees risk and taxes as well as risk so have a nest egg built up before you do a play like this mm -hmm. definitely real estate is a great part of anyone's portfolio investment wise but you don't want to make it the entire portfolio cool that was tiring today that was like an analytical that was an analytical one i'm tired on this on this cold wednesday doing the wise investor gets a little bit more draining you know but that bagel wasn't enough we had a great juice from fresh house that got me going got me fired up cleared the nostrils shout out to them thank you again to king street media for helping us with everything here on the wise investor and if you have any questions about your own personal finances or real estate you know where to find us at the wise investor until next time see you guys thanks for tuning in to this week's episode hope you enjoyed it be sure to follow us on instagram at the wise investor until next time this is what they did not teach you in school we hope to see you soon